you weren't in control. Everyone thought you were in control. Um, and you hear about Pure Life, and you're like, all right, over the course of 30 days, you decide, I need to do this. So you show up. What is it like? I mean, yeah, I mean, describe <laughs> what it's like. You show up there, and you're like, where am I? What What is exactly. happening right now? Yeah, this is exactly how I feel. I'm in the hills of Kentucky, never been here before, drive myself in, um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a bizarre feeling. Um, showing up at a place where you know there's 70 other guys there for pretty much the same reason, and you're all living together. Um, and uh, like a dorm style. Dorm, yeah. It, <laughs> it's so it's so unusual to try to explain these things, but yeah, you you check in, you meet your counselor. Uh, everyone's assigned a counselor. Uh, they go through your possessions. Um and make sure you're not bringing in things that they don't want you to have. Um, so they control everything in the sense of what you're bringing in. Um, and there's a ton of rules, uh, and for good reason. A lot of the guys that are coming are are coming right out of psych wards or they're off, just right off of drugs. Or you know, There's some pretty intense cases as well as some, some milder cases. But, um, yeah. But, you, it, but it's all focused on, on sexual yep. addictions. Yep. But there's other addictions that oh, guys yeah. bring with them. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Sexual sin is the common denominator, but there are some guys that are just um, uh, struggling with lots of different things. Joining us today on the Vine Church Podcast, my name is Zach Nielsen, and I'm one of the pastors at the Vine Church. Today, for our first episode, we welcome Pastor James Davenport. He is our newest staff member at the Vine Church, and uh, we're going to learn a lot about him today, things that he's been through, uh, life experiences that he's had that have shaped him. We're also going to hear about his vision for ministry, and we really enjoyed this conversation, and we hope you enjoy it too. You know, anytime you get hired for a job, there's usually a job description. Right. Um, and pastoral ministry usually means you're um, pastoring to people, um, not doing a lot of things via, you know, video or virtual or, you know, those right. types of things. So most things in the job description, not that they're not happening, but it just looks drastically different than what is, quote unquote, normal. So, right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah. February 1st to now, like there has been very little normalcy. Correct. To, to church yeah. life in general. Yeah. So it's been a weird time to start as it a new has. staff member. It has. But since you are a new staff member, we want to just get to know you and hear your story. And um, so why don't you tell us like just a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up? Well, yeah, I, I usually tell people I, I came from God's country. Um, some people refer to it as heaven, heaven on earth. Right. Um, and it, it's honestly true. I mean, they're they're right. I came from Iowa. <laughs> it's a great, the great place. State. The great, great state. state. Uh, the great state in the union, Iowa. Um, dad was a piano teacher. Mom was a nurse. I was the youngest of four kids. Still am the so youngest. Wait, of did four you kids. take piano lessons? You know, it's one of those things where your dad, um, and I know you're a piano player. Right. Uh, I would say my dad is the best piano player I've ever heard in my life. He's my dad. Right. But that that was his major. Um, that's what he pursued in his life. Wow. Um, but I think anytime your dad is great at something, sometimes the child veers from that. 
So I veered into sports. Gotcha. And uh, you were going to be a music nerd. No, he he tried. I mean, he didn't. No, I prop my dad for not like making it like you're going to be a great piano player. Yeah. It was like, hey, you want to try it? And I did. And I think we both realized, maybe him before me, but we both realized like this is not in my deck of cards. <laughs> I'm not going to be a great piano player. So it wasn't piano. It was sports. It so was sports. Iowa kid playing a lot of sports. Yep. Hawkeye fan. Big Hawkeye fan. Yep. Black and gold. Yep. Black can't, and gold. Can't get down with the JV squad over there in Ames. No. 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 Um. So, yeah. So how did you get kind of veered toward ministry stuff like because you've been doing ministry most of your whole adult life right yeah um well ironically i think it probably happened at the junior squad iowa state um because i did end up going to school there um, but you're not rooting for them but i'm i am not i am not a cyclone fan i i will applaud when they do well mm-hmm. funny story um i went to iowa state and whenever Iowa would come and play football, it's a big deal, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, it's the rivalry game. Um, and so people, students would camp out outside the stadium the night before the game because it's first come and you blitz the stadium and try to get front row, yep. you know, because you get a little camera time. Yep. So I would camp out with my buddies and hundreds of other students, you know, dressed in all my free Iowa State apparel that, you know, they give students. Uh, but little did they know, like underneath all my cyclone stuff is, you know, my black and gold Hawkeye. So when I get into the stadium, they got a Hawkeye fan right in the middle of their student section. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, uh, ironically, I think Iowa lost every year I was there. <laughs> Interesting. Which then I put my Iowa State stuff back on because I'm ashamed of my Hawkeyes. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> but all that to say, all that to say, uh, when I got to Iowa State, I got hooked up with, at the time, Campus Crusade. They now call themselves Crew. Right. But a c- collegiate ministry. Yep. Um, some may say I majored at crew in crew at Iowa State. <laughs> Interesting. So what took you from Iowa State undergrad? Where did you go next? Yeah. So my degree was in sports management, which was a, an amazing degree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had classes such as, uh, physical education, like we did weightlifting or yoga. Um, we learned how to blow the whistle in gym, wow. you know, you know, it was, it was tough. It was strenuous. I, you know, Iowa state's known for engineering. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of nerds kind of, you know, are, yep. you know, all around me. I always told them like, I think I'm actually smarter than you because I'm not living in the library. I'm at the gym shooting hoops and you're <laughs> studying. <laughs> no, but I majored in sports management and part of any, you know, any degree is doing a, um, in an internship yep. and so i combined mine to go overseas to a country called tajikistan which is in central asia with operation operation mobilization and um i created a basketball league for high school students uh, with a with a, a non-profit over there and just fell in love with the idea of helping others know who christ is wow. and god used that experience in my life to come home and tell my pastor at the time I kind of think God might be leaning me more towards ministry. Um, and he gave me two best, I, one of the best advice. He said, well, if you're going to do ministry, go pay off your school debt because yep. you're not going to make any money yep. in ministry um, and go get some Bible degree. And so I thought that was good advice and I couldn't say no to 
<laughs> the wisdom there. And so then you went off to went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Okay. And did you meet your wife at Moody? Uh, we we tell people that it's not really the truth. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it always depends on how much time we have, and I don't know how much time we have. We dated at Moody. Okay. Um, but sh- we actually met at a camp I worked at in Iowa. Uh, she came down. She was actually the intern at my home church, and my home church goes to this summer camp. And so I knew she was the intern at my church because that's the church I went to, and she came into my camp world. Okay. Where I then I discovered she was, you know, a Moody student, and the rest is history. There you go. As they so say. So tell us about your family. Uh, currently or yeah, like. Like the ones I live with right Correct. now. Correct. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. Okay. Not the ones in Iowa. <laughs> no. We moved on from Iowa. We moved on from Iowa. We're firmly in Wisconsin now. Uh, shucks. Uh, no, I have two little girls, a uh, four-year-old Lucy and a one-year-old Hazel and a wife, Emily. Awesome. And you guys have been married? We've been, we've been married since 2011, so this will be nine years yep. this year. Awesome. What's the what's been the greatest joy of being a dad? Um, it's a good question. Um, I think it's just there's so many things. Um, I think it teaches you so much about your relationship with God. Uh, I remember the very first time Lucy, whether she knew what the words meant or not, I remember the first time she said "I love you" mm. to me, and just the tremendous. Um, impact they had on me mm-hmm. of this little being um expressing that towards me yep. and realizing in my relationship with god my father uh, how much joy it must bring him for when i verbalize it or at least express it um, that i love him um and that he is my in him i find you know my source of satisfaction and, and contentment and peace um, so it teaches me of like that, that, that should be the posture of my heart is coming to the Lord as she comes to me often. Mm, that's really good. That's really good. So because we know each other, um, I know you've told your story to our church. Um, we've talked a lot about some of your story and I think one of the things that I've most respected about you is just hearing how seriously you took the struggle against sin um, at a certain point in your life and pursuing um, a ministry called Pure Life Ministries. Can you just tell, um, tell us what was that all about and um, what's Pure Life Ministries all about and how did you end up there? And Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Pure Life is um, it's just a place, uh, it's a live-in discipleship program um, that helps Men and and um, I think they're developing more of a women's program, but uh, individuals who are struggling in some um, sexual sin. And um, for me, um, yeah, late late teens to late twenties, um, sexual sin, um, pornography, and just inappropriate relationships um, really played a, a huge part in my life, and so. Um, you know, I think outwardly people would look at my life, even as a high school student to college kid to actually being in seminary as someone who was acing, you know, um, acing what it means to be a Christian, a very involved, always a student leader, 
um, leading Bible studies, sharing my faith. Um, so outwardly, had a uh, an image uh, that things were well, but on the inside, there is just a, a strong, um, uh, just a, a, an addiction towards um, my sexual sin um, um, habits. And so, um, it, outwardly looking good, but inwardly just re- very far from God and what it means to to truly love God. And so. Uh, just through a series of events when I was at Moody and uh, actually dating Emily at the time, my now wife, and um, just uh, for the first time, I, I fully confessed um, the, the the fullness of my sin mm-hmm. and um, got in touch with some some folks um, who had some good helps and uh, one of them, one of them which was uh, say, hey, Pure Life has a great program uh, for guys in your situation, and so. I went there in some ways because I knew if I wanted to marry Emily, uh, this was a route I would have to go. Um, but two, I think there's always, when you're stuck in sin, I think you're always hoping for, like, you're going to learn the secret formula to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought I could show up, put in some time, and learn the formula and, and be patched up. Yeah, so you you were living in Chicago at the time, mm-hmm. and and so you had to move. Yeah, I was, uh, Emily and I, we, we'd been dating for a year. I was a, a semester away from getting my master's in biblical studies, um, living in an apartment in Chicago. Um, it, but you're moving to where? Where's Pure Life? Yep, so moved to Kentucky for nine months. Wow, so this is like a detox program. Yeah. Kind of. Yep. Is that, I mean, would that be a fair way to... to uh, I mean, in, in some sense, I mean, we ha- Emily and I had to break our relationship, which at the time right when you're dating somebody that you love like it's a big deal yeah. you know to say hey we're not going to talk for nine months um to move away from you know the friends that you've developed for the past four years to to walk away from a degree that you've spent thousands of dollars on um it's a significant decision um but at, at the end of the day it's like what other decision can i make if i truly want um some sort of help um, and so, and, and that's the beauty of Pure Life is it's about 60 to 70 guys who honestly are making bigger sacrifices than I made. Uh, a lot of guys, it's their last stop before a total divorce or whatever from their wife. Sure. Um, even had a guy who was in his 80s and he said, before I die, I want to know what freedom looks like. Wow. Um, and so it's, it's desperate guys looking all for the same thing, which is just the hope, the hope that we have in Jesus. So I know a lot of people would would say, and just in different guys I've talked to, like, yeah, I've got a a problem here. Mm-hmm. It's it's um not ideal, maybe, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's no way I'm gonna move somewhere for nine months. You know, how did you know that like you needed to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's so many layers to Anytime you make a decision, I mean, I think, I think probably what even allowed me to consider it, get me into that gateway was my relationship with Emily. I knew I wanted to marry her. Um, and I knew this was something that I needed to do, but I think as I accepted that reality, there was a deeper sense of like, um, if I'm truly about Jesus, then I do need I do need help. Mm. Um, and, and it just became 
you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain, but I think when you know something is right, you know, it's right. Um, there's no turning back. Um, and it's just the, the, the humility of, yeah, I do need help. And there's, I think once you start confessing things as well, it's like, there's no stop to it. It's like, <laughs> shoot. Like, yeah. Do you remember like your emotions though of like, man, I'm, I'm leaving a master's degree and I'm moving to Kentucky for nine months. Like, what was that like at that time? I mean, was there, was there a vacillating of like, oh, I'm going to do this. No, I'm not. Or were you just like all, all in, or was there a moment where it's like, it's clear. Yeah. I'm, I'm diving in. It was quick. I mean, it was less than 30 days from the moment I said, okay, I'll look at it to the moment I, I got on their property. Um, and I think that whenever you make a decision like that, you, you're always going to say like, oh, well, I'm not that bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not of the classification where I need that extent of help. Um, but I always, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, well, <laughs> is, is your, in a sense, your salvation worth, worth it? Yeah. You know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think sometimes sin causes you to have to do drastic things. Um, uh, to, to fight it and to, um, uh, you know, be, be an overcomer by, with God's help. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think about what I just said a few minutes ago of like a lot of guys would say, there's no way I'm going to move, you know, to Kentucky for nine months. And I, and I'm wondering like, maybe actually like we should be taking our sin that so, so, so something like that wouldn't be that bizarre like mm-hmm. we, cause we take our sin so seriously, like a, a, pornography is is destroying my life it's mm-hmm. poisoning me mm-hmm. and man i should i should yeah. really take that seriously yeah it comes down to like what do you value most mm-hmm. your relationship with god or your job your education your you know family which are all great things but if your relationship with god is and for me what was true was it was a disaster it there was no right relationship with god it was just fully um i was a pharisee um, doing good things, but with a, just a heart that was just hollow uh, inside. And so at the end of the day, like you have to uh, come back to like, <laughs> what's mo- most important in my life? Would you say that you felt out of control? I would say I was out of control, but totally in control at the same time. Wow. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Help me understand. I mean, I never got caught. Yeah. Uh, I was able to hold it together. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Uh, n- nobody, I don't think, would have suspected me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was in control in the sense of, I w- you know, it, there, there's a spiral of sin, right? It keeps leading you into deeper and darker things. Um, and fortunately, by God's grace, I, you know, I, I hadn't reached um, some of the depths that cer- certainly I would have gotten to. Mm-hmm. Um, mine, mine stayed pretty, pretty surface level, but... Um, it's just a matter of time before just things. you and your computer. Yeah. Yeah. So you weren't in control. Everyone thought you were in control. Um, and you hear about pure life and you're like, all right, over the course of 30 days, you decide I need to do this. So you show up. What is it like? I mean, yeah. I mean, describe <laughs> what it's like. You show up there and you're like, where am I? What What is exactly. happening right now? Yeah. This is exactly how I feel. I'm in the hills of Kentucky, never been here before, drive myself in. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bizarre feeling, um, showing up at a place where, you know, there's 70 other guys there for 
pretty much the same reason and you're all living together um and uh, like a dorm style yeah it, it's so it's so unusual to try to explain these things but yeah you, you check in you meet your counselor uh, everyone's assigned in a counselor uh, they go through your possessions um, and make sure you're not bringing in things that they don't want you to have um, so they control everything in the sense of what you're bringing in um, and there's a ton of rules uh, and for good reason a lot of the guys that are coming are are coming right out of psych wards or they're just right off of drugs or, you know, there's some pretty intense cases as well as some, some milder cases, but, um, yeah, but, but it's all focused on, on sexual addictions. Yep. But there's other addictions that guys bring with them. Oh yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Sexual sin is the common denominator, but there are some guys that are just, um, uh, struggling with lots of different things. So you move into the dorms with move 70 other dorms, guys yeah. and you show up, you're assigned a counselor. What, what does daily life look like? Like, well, how's the program structured? Yeah. So you get a job. Um, so in, I, the, in the community? Yeah. You get a job in the community. So I worked at a factory, uh, real blue collar, um, intense, intense hard work. Um, so you, you spend your day working. Um, and then at night there's Bible study, there's prayer meetings, uh, there's counseling, um, you get a lot of homework. Uh, they have curriculum that you're working through. Um, and there's just the, the reality that you're living with all these guys. Um, and so there's chores. Um, you're assigned chores to, you know, you're cleaning this, this, this week. You have to do so many chores, uh, during the week and, and whatnot. So you, I mean, it's, it's busy from sun, sun up to sundown. You're, you're, it's structured. You're not able to leave property for any reason. Um, other than I think on Sundays you go to Walmart to buy groceries, um, wow. so it's very structured, very rule, uh, oriented, but as you progress through the program, like, uh, you kind of graduate into, uh, different freedoms that you're, you're given, like you've proven, uh, in a sense that you've, um, in a sense earned it based on kind of what you've done, but it's a hard program. I mean, um, I'd have kind of have to think back, but I would say over half don't make it through the program um, okay. because it's just, it's tough. It's probably one of the toughest things that I've ever done in my life is enduring through it. So all the structure, all these rules, like, is there a grace emphasis though? I mean, that's, how would you like, yeah. Cause someone might hear you say that and be like, well, it sounds just like legalism or something. Yep. Like, yep. How would we, how yep. would we talk about that? Yeah, and there's uh, if anyone from Pure Life is is listening, they they might be screaming at me. But this is my interpretation of Pure Life, and and this being said, like God used Pure Life in the most significant ways in my life. In a lot of ways, it's where I met the Lord. Um, but I would say the emphasis of Pure Life, because so many guys are out of control, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's visible or not, everyone is there because they're out of control. Right. What they want to do is is show to you that you you need to live a life of humility mm-hmm. uh, and by you need to cu- you need to learn what submission is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these rules aren't like bad rules. They're just rules that as adults we're like, Oh really? I can't listen to any music other than what you provide. You know, like s- a simple rule or like I can't talk after 10 PM or whatever. Um, these are rules that are, are, are instructing of like, Hey, you're not in control of your life. Ultimately mm-hmm. there's someone higher than you mm-hmm. right now. We're going to be that voice for you right we want you to submit ultimately to god mm-hmm. um and so is there mercy and grace yes but it comes across maybe a little bit harsher <laughs> but there's reason for it sure um for sure yeah that makes sense and and grace doesn't mean the absence of boundaries mm. 
it, it just means what's my heart posture yeah. in the midst of boundaries and why am I following the rules, you know? And so anyway, that I just wanted to ask that because of the way you're describing it, because I know it's a Christian organization, mm-hmm. but that does make sense to me. So you're, you're there for nine months. Like, why do they make you have a job in the community? One, it, it, it pays, it pays your fees. Um, and you're able to leave the program after nine months with some sort of financial, um, some money. Um, but I think it's also good too because it's not a total separation from the world. You're still, in, in a lot of ways, that was, you know, the program of itself is learning how to engage in the world um, and how to interact with those um the you know a big thing for pure life would be that there's two um there's two different uh blanking on the right word but two different like atmospheres or um you know there's the the atmosphere of god and and what like a realm yeah and then there's the world and so god's world's going to tell you one thing and the world's going to tell you the other thing um and so how do you how do you live as a christian in the world yeah um it's a big part of the program yeah so were there like lots of ups and downs in those nine months? Um, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> there are so many moments I just wanted to go home. Um, and I think what yeah. kept you there? Um, just knowing, you know, knowing that this was, it, it's not the only route that God could have for me, but knowing that, if I just faithfully persevere, knowing that God's going to do something and just believing in it. Yeah. Um, and just saying, okay, God, like you brought me here. Maybe I don't agree with everything, but on the other side of things, like I know, I know you're going to, and, um, just persevering. Um, and you know, I think too, like it didn't take me long to realize what, um, I needed to hear. And, you know, their big, their big teaching, um, is just living the mercy life, um, where sexual sin and really sin in general is, it's all about taking and consuming. Um, and so when you lust, you are saying, Hey, I want that for myself. Um, but that's not the life of Jesus. Jesus gave his life. And so it's a simple verbiage of like, I'm going to live my life as a giver, not a taker. Yep. And, um, just soaking in that of like, okay, so now part of the program is I'm with these 70 other selfish, self-centered, out of control guys. And now I got to live in community with them and yeah. serve them. Yep. Um, and so that's a big part of the program. So what does it lo- look like to have a mercy filled heart out of response of what God mercifully has done for me that he took my sin? Mm-hmm. Um, and now how do I, how do I live that to, to others? And so knowing that that was, it's right. It's true. And like, okay, so what all are you going to teach me, God? <laughs> yeah. Did, did you sense a, um, do you, as you look back on those nine months, was there a moment of, I think some people have moments of like a flash or of like an awakening. Some people it's just more like, um, like, like a moment where it's like at this moment, I'm never going back. Mm-hmm. Or for some, it's just a slow evolution. Like, mm-hmm. or was it some of both? Or how was that for you in those nine months in terms of your f- desire or fight against sexual sin? Yeah, it was early for me um, because I knew I was in the wrong. I knew what I was doing was wrong. I just needed to be called out on it. And so my counselor, um, 
Brad sat me down really early on and for someone who's very prideful, um, for him to look at, I said this on Sunday in the sermon, for him to look at me in the eye and say, I don't think you're a Christian. Um, your outside does not, your, your inside does not match your, your outside. Um, for him just to call me out like that, like I knew he was right. I was like, yeah, <laughs> like there's some, but you've been serving in ministry all these years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so like him just honestly, like laser focused, looking me in the eye right across the table and saying, I don't think this is true mm-hmm. based on what, um, has been true in your life. Um, just was the jolt I needed of like, okay, um, I need to, I need to make serious changes in my life, um, and respond to the gospel. Um, and so I, I remember taking a walk right after that and, and just saying, like saying, doing exactly what I know pure life prays for. It's just like a total, uh, crying out, Lord, have your way. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to go back to what I have been. Um, and, uh, I want to live, live how you, you want me to live. And so it's just that crying out early on within the first month. Um, uh, and then just trusting the process from there. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I, I want to go back cause it just made me think of that duplicitousness mm-hmm. of like, I'm in ministry. Nobody knows. Um, but I have this, you know, habitual thing that makes me feel out of control of consumption of pornography. And I would imagine that was exhausting or like, like living the kind of, how, how do I don't want to put words in your mouth. Maybe it wasn't exhausting, but how would you look back on those days of kind of living two lives and how would you, what were your emotions in that? Yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't say it was exhausting. I would think, I think for me, which was true of me was, um, just a, a prideful heart. Um, I think anytime I, and I guess I can only speak for, for myself, but I think what peer life really taught me was that, um, you can, you can do a lot of good things, ministry or, or whatever. Um, but it's, 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 it's just puffing yourself up, um, so that you can, um, look at others and, um, you, I mean, you're, you're just totally deceiving yourself, but by the works that you see yourself doing, you're able to suppress, um, the, the people around you. I, I know this probably isn't making the most sense, but, um, I think, I think the deception is just so easily there of, um, not seeing rightly your own self. Mm-hmm. Um, but you maximize your, you elevate what you're doing and saying, well, God's got to be proud of me for doing X, Y, or it's Z. It's kind of work, workspace. It's, it totally turns into a workspace um, reality. Like, kind of, like uh, I'm doing all these good things for the Lord in ministry, so maybe I'm owed a little bit of indulgence. It's not even, for me, it wasn't even like I'm owed. It's like um, just deceiving myself that it's okay. Yeah. And not even thinking about it. Wow. So you spend nine months at Pure Life Ministries, Kentucky, in the dorms with 70 dudes. Uh, you get to the end of that. Describe your post-life. Like, yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was, I was just a few classes short of graduating um, at Moody. And so I just returned there and finished. Um, Emily and I were were obviously not dating because we had broken up. 
And so, um, I don't know. I was, I was trying to think back. I don't think I really had any plans. I just went back to Chicago, um, and finished my degree. And Emily and I purposely, you know, we had a few conversations. Um, I still, still loved her and wanted to marry her. Um, but knew that there is no way that I could demand her to just trust me. Mm -hmm. Um, but it would take time. And so we casually hung out for maybe six months before we kind of, um, you know, returned to, um, actually dating again. But, um, so yeah, I mean, I just went back to school, school and work, uh, that graciously took me back. Did you sense a, a distinct difference in your battle against sin before and after? Yeah, I mean, I was just a ton smarter. Um, what Pure Life taught me was... Um, I mean, like tactics. Yeah, yeah, just like you can make your home, wherever you live can be, you can control what's the, um, you can control the atmosphere. The environment. Uh, yeah. The environment. Um, when you walk out your door, you cannot. And so do everything you can to control it because uh, boundaries are good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just got really stringent on my things. And after being being in a program for nine months where you literally have never been alone, um, but you go to Walmart, you have to be with an accountability partner. Um, you know, it was just built into me over those nine months of like, you know, it's it's good to have others in your life. Yeah. Um, because it's good for you. Yep. Amen. Wow. That's awesome. So then you start dating Emily after yeah. a period of months or whatever. Yeah. We started get back together and we got married within, uh, we got back together, um, and then got married within six, seven months. Um, because we'd already dated for about a year. Um, so we knew if we ended up agreeing to date again, it was, it'd be quick to get to, to marriage. Mm-hmm. So it's been nine years and you have two kids mm-hmm. and I know you guys have wrestled through, um, months, years of infertility. Mm-hmm. Is that something we can chat about? Sure. So tell us uh, a, a little bit about that journey of, of, uh, the trial of infertility. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something <clears throat> that pre-marriage and even early on in marriage, it's not something you think about, um, until you actually try to have kids and, for whatever reason, you know, you're having trouble getting pregnant. Um, so, I mean, not really an issue in our marriage until we really tried to have our first child. And, um, you know, it's, it's a frustrating process. Um, you know, reminded all the time that medical people are, are practicing medicine. There's not any, Hey, this is exactly what's going on, but they're trying to figure it out as much as you are. And so it's just a process of lots of tests and, and whatnot. And just frustrating, um, not knowing, um, we're still not necessarily, uh, have a diagnosis of what's necessarily preventing us from having kids. There's ideas. Um, but, um, I think on my my perspective, you know, it's it's frustrating wanting something that I think is, you know, is so good to have kids, um, but you're literally unable to have it. Yep. Um, and so I think that's just a, a frustrating reality to live in and to be 
supportive of others when they have kids um, and be excited for others. um, But then wonder at the back of your head, but why, why wouldn't God give me this good thing? Mm -hmm. Uh, Why is he withholding? Is there something wrong? Am I in sin? You know, type you start irrationally, but maybe it's not so irrationally, but just kind of letting your mind wander to things that probably aren't true. Yeah. We start to, try to climb into the uh the counsel of the lord yeah. in terms of suffering and that's dangerous at times yeah we should probably define our terms here a little bit like so because you guys have two biological daughters yeah, like correct. we've talked about yep. um so infertility for you guys means it just uh involves a lot of medical procedures mm-hmm. and it, there's no guarantees and you have happened to get pregnant twice yeah absolutely and you know honestly on this side of things like um we truly recognize that this is a gift from god um you know we we know lucy and hazel are miracles um because we've tried (laughs) how long did you for years how long like multiple years before lucy was born yeah it was multiple years for lucy and part of that was because we didn't know yeah um and so um we didn't know and then testing just takes forever it's just a process. Yeah. Um, and so we, we have a good game plan um, where it didn't take as long with Hazel. Um, the, the path that we have right now seems to work, um, but it's, it's, it's uh, using medicine to, to help. And uh, right now it, it has, praise the Lord. So There's no guarantees though, right? But there's no guarantees. Yeah. We would love, we would love many more kids, and, and we're praying for that. Um, so it's always, it's always a test. Um, in our relationship with God and also just for our own marital relationship too. Um, yeah. it can be de- definitely trying, um, unpack that a little bit. Why is it trying in your marriage? Um, yeah, it's, it's trying in the sense of, um, because it is so, um, you know, every month that you're not pregnant, um, it's discouraging and disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's always easiest to take that out on the person you're closest to. Um, and so I think Emily and I probably respond differently. Um, when the, when, when it comes to be true that it's a no for this month. Um, and I think just in our marital relationship, just sexually, um, it's, it's trying, um, it, what God created for, you know, a joyful, um, you know, celebration of your marriage is can sometimes turn into things that are just, you know, difficult, like procedural. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see how that would sap the joy of oneness because it might feel like it's pressure deal where like, I got to show up and hopefully God will give us a kid through mm-hmm. this. And if he yeah. doesn't, then I know I'm going to be disappointed. And then you're like, anticipating being disappointed and yeah i can see how that really mess with your head um as you think about infertility you know as a pastor it's one of those things that you know they don't talk about much in seminary but it affects a lot more people than you would understand Mm -hmm. and it seems like a lot of people suffer somewhat in silence Mm -hmm. um do you have any in advice for those like in the church? Yeah. Like how can the church be a safe space mm-hmm. for those that are really hurting with infertility? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, yeah. Um, don't, don't suffer silently. Um, include others in on your journey. 
Um, and because, you know, I, it's kind of crazy because it goes back to like, you know, my, my deal with sexual sin, well, you know, I'm not perfect in it by any means. It's still very much a weakness in my pursuit of Christ, but in a lot of ways, God uses our weaknesses or uses our experiences and turns them into testimonies for others. And so, um, you know, I, I think by allowing others to come along, you know, side you is, is going to be, um, your greatest, um, advocate because others, you'll find others who have been in similar situations, um, who can encourage you having experienced the same thing. Um, you know, I think it's more meaningful to me to receive counsel from somebody who's gone through infertility or who has gone through sexual sin issues Mm -hmm. in significant ways. And so including others in on your journey, I think is, is most important. And, um, just asking for prayer, um, um, would be good. And just being sensitive, you know, um, of people who, um, um, yeah, you, you don't, you you obviously don't know stories of people. Um, and so it's, it's hard, but just being sensitive that there are people who may want kids, but don't, mm-hmm. um, and just sometimes the language maybe just needs to be changed in how you share things, um, whether it's in your small group or, or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. It's it's um it's just it's really challenging when you look out and as a pastor you see different people that you know that are really struggling. Um and just like you kinda of hinted at this a second ago, but like just struggling with the fact that everyone else is getting pregnant and we're not. Like was that an issue for you guys? And how did you work through that? <sighs> Honestly, it's I think that's the toughest thing. I don't know how you work through it. <laughs> perfectly other than just keep verbally processing it yeah um and including others in on it because you can easily turn just so bitter yeah um and in a lot of ways like those <laughs> negative emotions like it's it's real <laughs> you know like um so yeah it, just including others in on your journey um letting others pray for you um I think those are just really tough things to uh, process through. But I think, you know, like we let in pretty early with our small group, city group, um, just our struggles. And people just, they. Ca- I think when other people know, they care for you in unique ways. Mm-hmm. Um, they're careful in the ways in which they express things with their own kids or that when they got pregnant, um, making sure that, um, you know, we were included in those conversations. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. It, those are hard. I don't know. Yeah, there's there's no easy answer there, you know. And I know the conflict for for especially some of the women that I've talked to is your girlfriend gets pregnant and you want to be happy for her and you are happy for her, but at the same time, you're heartbroken and you don't want there to be any bitterness in your relationship with that other woman that you're, you know, maybe best friends with or whatever. But it just makes this collision of emotions that's really hard to sort through. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I appreciate what you said. Just, like, I think it's important to maybe just articulate that. And we don't have to solve it. We don't have to fix it. But we can pray for each other. We can go to the Lord together in the midst of that collision of messy emotions. And maybe use the Psalms as our language, you know, to cry out to the Lord. and. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, because I, I don't know if there is an answer other than just feeling like someone listened to you in that Amen. moment. Amen. Um, and ultimately, I mean, it, I mean, it, it does come back to your relationship with God of like, um, is God enough? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it does come back to that. I, w- I don't think I would say that. Um, but you want to push people to, you know, trust that God is good. Yeah. Um, that he is worthy to be trusted and treasured, even if you don't ever get to have kids. Um, that's hard. That's a hard mm-hmm. reality. But I think the other part of the piece is talking with people who have journeyed through it because there's so many practical things that can be done that I think people are just ignorant to. Um, that Emily and I, it took us years to figure out just the process of getting medical help. And what does that look like? What does actually going through adoption look like? We started it, but it took us months to tr- begin to figure it out. And so like including others in on your journey helps on just the practical level of like, here are steps that will help because the process is, is significant. You know, it does take months to kind of walk through each hoop. Um, but let's get started on it. So you guys did explore adoption. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Obviously that I'm an advocate of that as uh, we have adopted in our family. Um, yeah, I, I think adoption is a really, really good, um, well, that could be a whole other podcast episode, but um, really, you know, maybe bi- maybe season two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but just the whole idea of like the Bible commands um, that Christians be on the front lines with those that are marginalized, yeah. and and it's hard to think of anybody more marginalized than someone who doesn't have parents, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so I I wouldn't say that adoption is um, required biblically. I think engagement with the marginalized is required. Um, but I think adoption is a way, not the way, but mm-hmm. a way to do orphan care and care for those that are most marginalized in our world today. So I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Um, well, man, thanks for being so honest. Yeah. That's, that's, I really appreciate that. That's really refreshing. Um, we want that to be part of our culture where we can share our stories without fear without being defensive, without feeling we have to, we have to hide. And so let's talk about the basement. Um, you're on staff at the vine and one of your roles is to oversee, uh, basically babies through 12th graders. But we have this new thing, um, called the basement. What's the basement? Um, yeah, the basement, uh, it's, it's, uh, just the youth program that we have here at the church. And, um, I think every youth group has to have a cool name. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a requirement. So, um, no, yeah, we, we meet in a basement. And so that's kind of meaning number one mm-hmm. as all youth, good youth groups meet in a basement. But, um, but two, you know, taking after Matthew, um, the you know building your house on a rock uh idea of um just w- really wanting to have a heart for kids to build solid foundations um as they grow and um that they learn who Jesus is um before ultimately whether it's college or career or whatever it is um that while while we have them here in the church um that we're coming alongside parents well um to see them build really cool solid foundations in their identity in Christ mm-hmm. um but yeah that's the basement is just kind of uh, the youth program from 6 to 6 to 12 graders why why um have you felt uh called to engage that population 
Well, it allows me to be a kid. <laughs> be a spaz. Yeah. You're good at that. Yeah. Um, I think everybody in youth ministry does it because they never graduated from like playing dodgeball. And <laughs> Dude, My youth pastor, when I was in high school or junior high, like, I mean, I was the spazziest, squirreliest junior high kid ever, but he was more spazzy than I was yeah. as a 30 year old man. Like he, yeah. he had energy for days yeah. and he would just, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so, I mean, it's just a ton of fun, number one. But I th- I don't know. We Emily and I worked at a camp for three years or whatever, uh, a youth Bible camp. And um, I've always just loved kids. Um, I love seeing kids. One, it's just fun seeing kids laugh and just have a great time uh, and connect with one another. Um, but I've always just really loved when kids, seeing kids, um, and now with Lucy as a four-year-old, like seeing kids grow in their understanding of things and concepts. And so um, probably my biggest joy is just seeing kids take those continual next steps of um, whether it's reading their Bible or just simply asking like a really good theological question like, oh, I can't believe you actually are thinking about that. Um, but just seeing the continual growth in kids is just, um, uh, it's it's super encouraging. Uh, I think I'm not crazy old, not as old as Zach, but <laughs> <laughs> I think as I get older, like, and I always remember old people telling me this, like, their hope is in the next generation. And, like, I find that more and more true because it's like, I'm going to die s- someday. And, like, if these next kids don't get the gospel, Amen. like, this is our hope. Um, they're going to continue this on. And so um, seeing them get it, um, being a part of that um, is fun and rewarding. Yeah, amen. So did you have like a formative youth group experience when you were in junior high and high school? Uh, I did, yeah. I went to a really good church back in Iowa and um, yeah, um, youth program, um, kind of the typical. That's part of my story too, is like, I think I became a Christian through youth group. Um, I don't have like a moment, mm-hmm. but going to a camp ministry and then my youth pastor um, had such a significant impact in my life and so yeah i love i love the vision of just trying to come alongside parents um as a local church to disciple kids Mm -hmm. it's beautiful so what do you got planned like what what are you seeing and you know god willing we'll be able to gather yeah at some point and not just be youth group on zoom the basement on yes um but like what's what, what do you what are your hopes desires what are you seeing are you seeing anything in the next year or two, assuming everything's back to normal. Right. Yeah, it's it's been a, an unusual uh, season for everything, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, youth ministry, typically summer months are like, in a lot of ways, is the reason why you sign up for youth ministry, because you get to go to the water park and um, go-karting or whatever, you know, fun summer type things. But um, we'll, we'll see how this summer plays out. Um, you know, all all kind of planning is just on pause, um, not knowing what's what will be open or not. But you know, I think at the end of the day, I mean, we are, are you know, the basement. We we tend more junior high age right now. Um, so looking in the future, like great group of kids. Um, who um, you know, I I think one of the values I place on youth group is just the peer to peer relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the idea i would love um kids who truly love jesus in relationship with one another 
and just um, encouraging each other in that way. Um, because we're we're a, we're a different youth group in the sense of it's kind of a collective of churches uh, across Madison. It's not just the Vine. It's it's by five or six different churches. And so isn't that a cool picture of like youth across Madison coming together or finding their unity in the person of Jesus mm-hmm. and encouraging each other through authentic relationship? Um, and, you know, I, I would love to see those friendships grow um, in more significant ways as they lean into the gospel. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, you know, we'll, we'll, um, also too, for me, just kind of learning, what does it look like to really encourage parents as the primary disciple makers? Um, what are, what are ways and channels that we can just encourage parents to continue persevering, um, um, and doing, doing good job in the home because we only see kids for 90 right. minutes on a Amen. Sunday. <laughs> so you view your, your role as an equipping role, not just for uh, little kids, junior high kids, high school kids, but right. Yeah. And you've right. got a great team of leaders. You've yeah. done a great job, yeah. um, getting some leaders to invest in, yep. in students. That's really yep. been beautiful. Yep. Yeah. I think leaders are, are so important. Uh, healthy leaders who, uh, are just engaging with kids. I think, I think at the end of the day, kids, every, when I was a kid to today, as I look at these youth, like nothing's changed in the sense of every kid, teenager, is looking for a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to know where they fit in. Um, and <laughs> at that age, junior high, like, you know, you're squirrely. You don't know where you fit in. Um, right. But you have a youth leader who over time is consistently engaging with you um, and joining in with you and Rubik's Cube or whatever it is that you're into. They're all in. Um, yeah. In time, you're going to find that that's a person that you can trust. In addition to hopefully parents, um, hopefully that's a good team of people who are um a place where teenagers can kind of assess out uh, their relationship with christ so do you have any like crazy youth group stories <laughs> either like from your experience well, when I was. <laughs> that or with this crew here at the vine these are such good kids i don't know if i have any crazy when i was it i mean i was I was the bad kid. <laughs> Maybe not bad is the right word, but the different kid. Like we went to Ecuador, um, not Ecuador. We went to Venezuela for a youth mission trip, and I came back with no eyebrows because <laughs> <laughs> because why not? <laughs> because we thought it was cool to like shave our eyebrows on this mission trip international. I don't know. I don't know why we did that. We did that. I'd like to see the picture. Yeah, or, that's kind of that's kind of spooky. Yeah, I mean, mission trips were just. You, all bets are off yeah i mean we <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I i was told this story by a youth pastor friend of mine that on one of their mission trips one of the i don't know if it's junior high or high school but gosh they this kid took a bunch of checks mix and he put it in his mouth and then took a bunch of orange soda and didn't swallow but he's made a nice mix in his mouth and then pretended like he was vomiting and just like so he fake vomits and then some other kids see that and, and you know vom- when the, it triggers the vomit impulse in them and then they puke for real right and it was this disaster and parents were not happy and yeah. it was not good yeah <laughs> that's funny yeah i'm trying to, i mean there's there's lots of i mean like junior high boys it's just lots of fart noises and yeah i learned early actual on. farting yeah when i do this uh 
I, I don't typically do the, the small group for junior high boys, but the times I've been in there, I, I learned that if you can make your big point relate to any bathroom humor, <laughs> you're, you've are you made a home run. How about we relate the point to like personal hygiene? Those dudes need to mix in some deodorant. We're, 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 we're evolving. Yeah. We're growing. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, God, there's got to be some more youth group stories, though. Everyone loves a good story. Um, we, I don't know how good a story this is, but um, we do a thing called Disciple Now, yep. which is a uh overnight retreat that's on a friendly budget because we stay in in homes. Nice, you know. Um, but the junior high boys last year, um. I don't think they did go to sleep, and I think they all did puke because they just ate candy <laughs> and played video games, I think, all night. Just sugar and screens. Sugars and screens. Um, there was some Bible content. Yes. I was told this was after, you know. After, the structure. After the structure. Yeah. Um, but Yeah, I had a great youth group experience. Um, we would do mission trips a lot. And, uh, you know, the typical hay rides and Bible camps and mission trips. And uh, I had a really good relationship with my youth pastor. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm just really excited because I, um, maybe I'm biased, but I have a, just such a sweet spot for your role um, because of your role when I was at, uh, when I was in junior high, high school, had such an impact on my faith. So we're so thankful you're here. And uh, anything else you want to get off your chest before we sign off episode one, the Vine podcast, season one? Uh, I don't think so. Well, man, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Honestly, like, yeah. um, thanks for being so vulnerable and transparent. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that are really helped by that. And we look forward to what uh, what the Lord has in store. What's uh, episode two involve? A little uh, preview. A little... We're going to get some biblical counseling. We're going to mm. talk about uh, business for the glory of God. Ooh. We're going to talk about the struggle of being a young mom. Mm. I'm going to talk a lot about that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's my <laughs> sweet spot. Um, we're going to talk about some mission stuff, what it means to live overseas. This is all in season one. This is all season one. Wow. That's the plan. Wow. Yep. We're, I've got... Yeah, we've got we've got a, a scaffolding, if you will, mm. for uh, eight episodes. Mm. So maybe we'll have you back. We'll see what wow. the what the masses yeah, say. The reviews, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely pour over the reviews. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if uh, if we have you back. Okay. All right, James D. Thank you, sir. Thank you. This has been the Vine Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to subscribe, and we will catch you next time.